You're listening to a podcast from St. Bart's. To find out more about our church or to take a next step, visit stbarts.com.au. Well, it'd be great to keep your Bibles open at 1 John as we return to our First John series. But first, let's pray. Gracious Father, we pray that this morning your spirit would be at work in our hearts and minds, guiding us in all truth towards Jesus, that we would remain in him. In his name we pray. Amen. New technology can sometimes be scary. You might be worried about how you're going to use it, what's the point of it, or you might be worried about who else will use it, how they might manipulate it. Last year, I watched a show on the BBC that imagined what technology might look like in five years' time. There was a scene where these videos of politicians saying outrageous things went viral. Everyone was sharing them. It was all over the news. People were sharing them on their phones, at cafes. Because what the politicians were saying was crazy. They were saying things against one another, against their own party, and even against other countries. But it turns out that these videos were completely fake. There was no real politician saying these things. Instead, people had generated these videos on computers to look exactly the same and sound exactly the same as real people who have power. In this letter before us, John writes because he is also concerned about deception. Not from the latest technology, but from people they know saying outrageous and dangerous things. He is not worried about the politics of the time, but their eternity and their fellowship with God. Unlike a warning you might get on your car that only a mechanic can decipher, this warning, John writes, is for everyone. He writes with compassion to his dear children. And his concern for them is personal because faith in God is personal. Just as John said at the very beginning of the letter that he longs that they and us may have fellowship with the Father and with the Son. So the deception he warns of isn't just academic, but concerns relationship with God. And it matters because this is the last hour. The phrase last hour pops up a few times in the New Testament. And here, John means that they are in the time after Jesus' ascension and before his final return. This is not the end, but the in-between time, the waiting time before Jesus' return. So because Jesus hasn't returned yet, we too are in that same last hour. John writes because the deception facing the community that threatens their relationship with God as they await Jesus' return is that the Antichrists have come. So, who are the Antichrists? What is the danger? And how should we respond? 
So first, let's have a look at how John describes the Antichrist and the Antichrists, starting from verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. The source of deception John warns about are the Antichrists. Now, hearing about the Antichrist might fill you with fear, confusion, or indifference. Who are the Antichrists? How do we recognize them? What are we to do? Or is this just like a cult-like concern? Why does it even matter? There aren't too many places in the Bible that specifically mention antichrists and antichrists, but nearly all the references are here in 1 John and later 2 John. The idea of the antichrist is mostly found in apocalyptic writing, a style of writing in the Bible that is particularly concerned with the end times like we might see in the book of Daniel, in the Old Testament, or in Revelation in the New Testament. There, the Antichrist is a figure who opposes Christ, who acts in the place of Christ as an evil substitute for Christ and demands worship instead of Christ. This is where we get the imagery of the final cosmic battle, in which Jesus will be victorious over all evil, including all who represent evil. The Antichrist operates by deception, deceiving with false teaching and false signs and wonders. But here in 1 John, he is mostly concerned not with a singular apocalyptic figure, but with many Antichrists. They might use the same tactics of opposition and deception as the Antichrist. They might have the same end goal. But here John talks about many people opposing the Christ, opposing Jesus. Just as you might call people who oppose corruption as the anti-corruption group, all those who oppose consumerism as the anti-consumerist group, here those who oppose the Christ are the Antichrists. They're not otherworldly creatures, but people who have come from the community that John writes to. And we know that because in verse 19, John says that they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. So if the Antichrists are people, how do we know who they are? We don't need to be scared or second-guess the motivations of the person sitting next to you, like it's some mystery to be unearthed or discovered. John gives us a clear standard to know who are the Antichrists. It is found in verse 22. So would you have a look with me? 
Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. The standard is denial. All throughout this passage, there is a word play on Christ. Remember that Christ is not Jesus' last name, but a term that means the anointed one, the Messiah, God's king. So Christians, Christians, believe, acknowledge and confess that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one. And antichrists deny that Jesus is the Christ. Here, this doesn't mean that if we get anything wrong about Jesus or if our lives don't perfectly demonstrate that we believe Jesus is king, that we're at risk of being an antichrist. Rather, here are very specific denials. The Antichrist denied that Jesus was God's king. They denied that Jesus is fully human. These denials come to the core of who Jesus is and what he accomplished in his life, death, resurrection and ascension. Denying that Jesus is the Christ is the ultimate lie the ultimate opposition to truth of who he is because it fundamentally denies who he said he is and what he came to do. We shouldn't be surprised that people have come and will continue to come who oppose Jesus for he warned us that this would happen. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus warned the disciples that watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, the Christ, and will deceive many. We can know who the Antichrists are. The standard is clear. They are people who deny that Jesus is the Christ. They deny who Jesus said he is. But even though John presumably knows who these people are, for they were part of this community and have now left, note that he doesn't name them. He doesn't get everyone to hunt them down, start a search party. His focus is not on public humiliation. Instead, John wants the community to know the danger of those who oppose Christ and that they'd be able to identify them plainly by who they deny. But what does this matter? We might get all types of things wrong about God. So why is this particular truth so important? What is the danger of not believing that Jesus is the Christ? The danger of following the antichrists? The danger of denying that Jesus is the Christ is spelt out in verse 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. When we deny the Son, we deny the Father. When we deny the Son, we separate ourselves from God. Because our only way into relationship with God is through Jesus. The only way we can be in fellowship with God is through the Son. Our relationship and fellowship with God hinges 
on our expressed trust in Jesus. To make sure we understand, verse 23 here says it in two ways, negatively and positively. Negatively, if you deny the Son, you can't have the Father. That is, to deny who Jesus is means you cut off the only way to be in fellowship with God. But positively, if you acknowledge the Son, you have the Father. That is, to express trust in Jesus means you have, now have relationship with God. We live lives full of choices. We get to choose where we live, where we work, where we shop at, where we holiday. But when it comes to knowing God, there is only one way. There's only one who can forgive our sins. There is only one whose blood purifies us from all sin. There is only one who is our advocate with the Father. There is only one who has overcome the evil one. And there is only one who offers us eternal life. Jesus told his disciples that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. If we deny Jesus, that he is God's anointed one, if we deny the only way to God, then we do not have God. We do not have fellowship with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is the danger of the Antichrists, that a denial of Jesus is rejecting fellowship with God. But likely for us, unless you are a super charming, galvanising type of person, the danger won't be leading astray groups of people by standing up and proclaiming that Jesus is someone else, even though that does happen. The biggest danger we'll probably face is what is not said, what remains in silence or remains undecided. A recent cultural analysis piece in the Australian newspaper suggested that most people today occupy a world in between faith and atheism, an in-between world that is full of uncertainty. We're far more likely to come across people on our front lines who are just not sure, haven't ever really thought about Jesus, um, or are happy to remain undecided, for that seems like a safe middle ground. But the middle ground when it comes to Jesus is like no man's land. It might be in between sides, but it is not safe. During the Focus weekend away, I signed up for the Flying Fox, 200 metres of fun. Uh, we were harnessed up, had our helmets on, the instructors attached us to the Flying Fox with two carabiners, and then checked with one another that they worked when we were up on the platform. When I jumped off the landing, there were only two options. I was attached or I wasn't. When it comes to relationship with Jesus, we are either in relationship with him 
or we are not. Being in between faith and atheism is the same as the antichrists. If you're not expressing your trust that Jesus is the Christ, then you are opposing Jesus. The middle ground is not safe. Denial of Jesus might be just remaining undecided or being indifferent. But denying who Jesus tells us he is and not trusting him is denying the only way to God. So finally, with the danger of deception and denial, how should we respond? We'll pick up from verse 24. But as for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised to us, eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. When false and misleading ideas of Jesus threaten this community, John doesn't tell them to go on an antichrist hunt, doesn't tell them to become critical or suspicious of one another or of other churches, but rather encourages them to remain in Jesus. If you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, I don't think John means this to be unsettling. He intends for them and us not to be led astray, but also wants them to be confident and keep growing in their confidence in Jesus with all that he has given. So what have we been given? Let's look back to verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. Given to every believer is the anointing from the Holy One. Now, there are a few different ideas on who this Holy One is. It might be the Holy Father, the Holy One Jesus, or more likely the Holy Spirit. The Spirit given to all believers. He is the one who guides us in all truth and enables us to express our trust that Jesus is the Christ. The language of anointing might seem odd, archaic, or even just super spiritual, but it's actually straightforward. Jesus is the ultimate anointed one, and Christians have been anointed by him. Anointing here is not reserved for a special class of believer, and it's not referring to a special type of baptism. Rather, anointing from the Holy One, the gift of the Holy Spirit, is given to every believer. And the role of the Spirit is to lead us in all truth. The particular deception of the Antichrists is false teaching about Jesus. False teachers would claim that there was additional secret knowledge required to know God and find out the real truth 
But John affirms that because of what God has given them, that because of the guiding of the Spirit, they already know the truth about Jesus. They already have relationship with God. Nothing extra or deeper is needed. This doesn't mean, of course, that we can't learn more as Christians or that the moment we trusted in Jesus, we instantly had perfect knowledge. But we are given the Spirit who reveals and enables us to truly express our trust in Jesus. And we are also given the standard to test these things. The standard is simple. Are they acknowledging Jesus as the Christ? If not... They are not from God. Later in chapter 4, from verse 2, John writes, This is how you can recognise the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. There will be times when people say things about Jesus that make you uneasy. People might claim that you need to know this extra thing to really know God. But if you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, you already have all that you need. God has revealed himself to us in Christ. He has given us his spirit of truth that we would know him and be in fellowship with him. When faced with false ideas, remain in Jesus. Of course, as we grow in our relationship with God, we will learn new things about the depths of his love. And we will see with fresh eyes all the wonders that he has done and is doing. But the things we learn and discover about God should never contradict the truth that Jesus is the Christ, God's King. God's Son and our Saviour. This is what we can be sure of. We can be sure of it because God's Spirit has been given to all believers. He is our trustworthy guide, pointing us to Jesus so that we would remain and delight in relationship with him. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that because of Jesus, we can have fellowship with you. We thank you for the gift of your spirit, continually at work guiding us towards our King and Saviour. Heavenly Father, we pray for those we love who remain unsure about you. Please be at work in their hearts. May they come to really know you and the life and forgiveness that you offer them. We pray that their denial would turn to trust and that they would come from death to life. As we encounter false or deceiving ideas about Jesus, please help us to remain in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a podcast from St Bart's. To learn more or to take a next step, visit stbarts.com.au.